Talk to my friend Drew Allen. And I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. As die-hard conservative. I look this guy for wisdom. Greetings, patriots, freedom lovers from sea to shining sea. This is Drew Allen back with you. Now we are going to get into something unique for this broadcast. As you know, this is the Drew Allen Show, and I am Drew Allen, the sole voice of the Drew Allen Show podcast. But I'm going to do something, attempt to do something, that I haven't done before. And you're in for a treat. While typically I choose the subject matter, I am the, well, the only individual who speaks about as the expert of these issues, who studies them and so on and so forth, and brings that news and information to you, my loyal audience, I'm going to do something different. As you know, the assault on America continues from the left. And I want to share a story with you to set the stage for what we're going to attempt here on my show, my program. A friend called me several days ago. Her brother is a firefighter paramedic in L.A. County. Her brother is facing being fired if he does not get vaccinated from the fire department. And my friend asked me if there was something I could do to help their voices be heard to alert the American people to what was happening to these patriots who sacrifice day in and day out selflessly to serve and protect their communities. And I said unequivocally, yes, I will do everything I can to help them, to help your brother and these patriots who save lives day in and day out, risk their own lives to save others. And so just a little backstory. I interviewed two L.A. County firefighter paramedics. And I recorded the phone conversation interview, and I've been granted permission to share that with you. Because what is happening in L.A. County Well, the city council there, signed by the mayor of uh, L.A., well, they voted 13 to 0 to enforce and require vaccines for city personnel, which includes, of course, police officers, firefighters, sanitation workers, anybody who works for the city, for the government. And... I interviewed, I I started with these two firefighter paramedics in L.A. County, and then they 
graciously gave me the information for another firefighter in L.A. County named John Knox. I interviewed him. I recorded that phone call. And John Knox graciously, patriotically, agreed that I could share that with the American people as well. Because while I am in solidarity with these firefighters who risk losing it all, losing their livelihoods, their careers, to resist tyranny and stand up for freedom and the American people and America at large, I'm detached. I'm not a firefighter paramedic. And so I think it's important. I think it's more effective. I think it's more impactful. And frankly, it's moral to allow these people an opportunity to speak for themselves, to tell you their stories. Because these people aren't statistics. They are willing. Let me put it this way. You know, these firefighter paramedics, they've gone from hero to zero. You know, many people rely on these individuals who don't have health insurance to save their lives. They rely on the 911 emergency system. And these firefighters who are all trained as EMTs, and many of them on their crews, specialize in treatment specialize you know these firefighters they don't just fight wildfires they're the first responders when you have a car accident they're the ones trained to save lives to administer life-saving treatments on the spot and they're being told now that despite them being trusted entrusted to save other people's lives and make life-saving decisions split-second decisions in most cases to save the public's lives, well, now they well, they can't be entrusted to make those same decisions to protect their own lives and families when it comes to the COVID vaccine. And so I have now interviewed four individuals. Three of them work in L.A. County, one of the biggest firefighting departments, fire departments in the country. And then I've also interviewed one person in Napa County where I live to speak about his situation as well. I want you to hear from them. These are their stories. These are their opinions, points of views, experiences that you must hear. Because these individuals, as you will hear throughout these interviews, are patriots, red-blooded Americans, who we should all revere, honor, and respect. Not only do they risk their lives day in and day out to protect their communities, they are now willing to risk their careers to protect America at large. This is Drew Allen. This is the beginning of the series. You're going to hear from first, Jeff and Rob. Two L.A. County firefighter paramedics in this episode. I hope you will listen. I hope you will share their stories. Because these are human beings. Human beings who are being attacked, assaulted by 
unfortunately, the Democratic Party at large. Their lives, their sacrifices, their commitments to serve their communities, they're not being honored. They're being told, get vaxxed or get fired. This is Drew Allen. This is the first episode in the series. And when we get back from this short break, I'm going to play for you part of my interview with L.A. firefighters, patriots, and heroes, Jeff and Rob. This is Drew Allen. I'll be right back. Yes, yes, that was not English, that was Italian, because I speak Italian, I love Italy, and I've lived there for many, many years. Unrecognizable to the non-Italian-speaking American. I am a bag full of tricks and surprises. Uh, Anyway, now we're going to break into the promised first episode, first interview with American heroes Rob and Jeff. Here we go. Just give me an overview just in general of the situation, you know, like, like, you know, what, when, when did this come to your attention? Um, when did it become like this big deal? Like when was it introduced? I don't know. Just give me the backstory on what's going on. What's brought you guys to this point talking to me now? Yeah, Drew. Hey, Drew, I'm one of the, uh, I'm one of the medics and one of the firefighters here. Um, so just uh, as far as a specific date, it was, uh, I believe. August, uh, August 20th? Yeah, August, around August 20th of this year was when the uh, drafted ordinance came out from the mayor and the city council uh, regarding the, the mandate. And it had some, uh, some verbiage in there discussing what the requirements were, where it had specific dates regarding Pfizer Moderna, the, they want a fully vaccinated workforce. Um, it talked about deadlines for getting the Pfizer and Moderna because it's a two shot series as well as um, the J and J, which is a one shot, and then um, pretty much the deadline it came, it's it's down to uh, you got till October fifth as your last resort to get the J and J, and you have to be fully vaccinated by October nineteenth, which is the deadline by the city of Los Angeles. Um, and their definition of fully vaccinated is fourteen days after your last shot and or series, which would be your second shot. Um, so they're 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 initially said in the verbiage termination um they also changed that and it's signed by the mayor now the verbiage says condition of employment and that's up for debate yeah um they they say condition of employment but historically within our department if guys you know get a dui or lose their emt or their medic license they get moved within the department for example like metro dispatch or they get sent to our downtown shops and work in rescue maintenance and repair um, tools and equipment, stuff like that. They're accommodated while they have this mishap until they can regain whatever. But it sounds like a condition of employment is termination for a lack of better words. You know, yeah. um, they're, they're saying medical exemptions, religious exemptions, those needed to be submitted by an intent to file by September 7th, and then they email you with the forms that they want you to fill out, and then you send it in, and it's to be approved for reasonable accommodation. 
but yet the ordinance says all city employees must be vaccinated. So the reasonable accommodation from what we've been hearing is they're going to move you to a different department, which doesn't make sense because they want a fully vaccinated workforce. So it sounds like it's a misleading trap that they're trying to separate people from the herd to get rough numbers and possibly deny them if they sign a piece of paperwork. Um, you know, they could be uh, bounded by signature under the terms of an exemption to where if they can't find you or give you a reasonable combination, they can send you home without paying terminate you. Um, that's obviously like the worst case scenario. Right, right. And I'm sure, you know, that's the scenario everyone's focused on. Yeah. So a lot of guys are like, you know, we, we, we all work in the medical field and, you know, a lot of us went to the union meetings. We, we both attended both of them and we, we find it kind of ironic that the Department of Health Services, which, you know, mandated this initially coming from the state, you know, they mandated, mandated for the county for all healthcare workers to be fully vaccinated by September 30th, which recently that got bumped to, I believe, like November 1st. I guess that just recently came out. They pushed the deadline back. Um, and and that, that's not for sure, for sure, but I know they, they pushed the, the timeline back. But the kicker is, is, you know, they're mandating it for us, but the same entity um, uh, gives us protocols that we must follow in the field. You know, um, for example, there's a protocol, paramedic protocol and EMT protocol. It's called Reference 834. It's the right to refuse medical treatment and transport. Uh, and that's found on the Department of Health Services website, and you click to emergency medical services, and you can find the tab where you can look up specific protocols, and you go to the 800 series, 834. Um, within that protocol, the very first principle of that protocol, it says um, any adult or an emancipated minor has the right to refuse medical treatment or transport um, as long as they're sound mind and they understand all the risks up into including death. Um, they have the right to refuse treatment or transport. And there's lots of circumstances in the field that we run day to day where we're constantly discussing treatment and um, transport options with our patients. And sometimes people just don't want specific treatment. Some people, for a lack of better words, just want to pass in their home because they're old and they're, they're having a life-threatening event and they want to stay home. But they're sound mind and they're able to answer our questions and they're able to sign a release of liability, which is an AMA against medical advice. Um, so they have that right to choose. So I brought it up to our union. And I'm like, we're, I'm ready to sign the AMA. Where's, where's the city's liability form for us to sign? Because we've been on this since the front lines. Most of us have gotten COVID, given it to our, our friends and family. Um, we all have natural immunity. Um, we we all are the most fully protected people going into a home. Most of the time, when people call us, it's a life-threatening event, or they have they're experiencing a COVID-related issue. And every 100% of the calls, at a bare minimum, we walk in with an N95. We wear goggles. We wear uh, N95 respirator. We wear goggles. We wear gloves. We wear gowns. We are the most protected person going into someone's home. So the last thing we want to do is transmit COVID to any one of the public members at all. That's, and, 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 and keep in mind, if anybody tests positive, we go home for 10 days in quarantine. We can't be at work. A lot of the guys are responsible adults. We, we took an oath to protect the citizens of LA. And, you know, if we're sick, we stay home and we wait till we get better and we get tested to make sure we're negative, And then we come home, come back to work. 
So for for everything to be villainized um, towards us saying that we're infecting the public, that's that's false. You know, because a lot of these guys are, and girls are very well educated. We're critical thinkers. We have to make uh, treatment decisions in life-threatening situations and dangerous circumstances for us. You know, on a day-to-day basis. So for them to you know villainize us, it's it's kind of heartbreaking. You know, and for us, and they say we have the right to choose. That's what um, higher members within our department, command staff, has told us. You have the right to choose. But the the issue with us is if we don't choose what they want, we lose our job. So that's that's not the right to choose. That's an ultimatum. If I had the right to choose, I can still have my job. And the middle ground would be wearing protective personal protective equipment and our body substance isolation and just, you know, do our thing and move on with the pandemic like we have been since day one. Yeah. A quick question just for clarification. You mentioned sure. you go in with the N95 respirator. That's different Correct. than an N95 surgical mask. The respirator is, is a different device, right? I believe so. Yeah, it has. Um, yeah, I, I forget the specifics on it, on what the difference is on. So I don't want to, like, specify on that. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're provided. We all wear N95s. Um, you know, we all, we're all responsible adults, you know, we, and, and that's another thing, part of our strategic protocol during the COVID pandemic is we have a one in one out rule. And we also, um, start our assessment from six feet away. If they're not wearing a mask, we tell the patient, Hey, can you please put a mask on? If not, we'll provide you one, a, sur- a surgical mask. Um, and the one in one out rule is if we have a confirmed COVID patient, which is asked by our dispatch. And we get to the front door of an emergency, unless they're not capable of doing so, we typically ask our patients, hey, could you walk outside, have a seat on your front porch, sit on our gurney, and then that's where we'll begin our assessment. And we usually start at six feet away outdoors, which is, you know, which limits, um, you know, that, that exposure. Does this have an impact, though? This is related. But, you know, all of these additional protocols that are actually costing you time in terms of treating these patients that may be in life-threatening situations. Correct. Um, when every second counts in terms of what you guys are doing, trying to assess and get somebody to a hospital to get life-saving treatment, uh, does this have an impact on your ability to, to, to do your job and actually potentially save those people? Um, yeah, it, it takes it, more time. It, you know, you got you to gotta, you gotta, put on gowns, you got to put on masks, goggles, and yeah, that's so, not really on, on us as we go to the call. Um, that the, there's, but it does take yeah. a few seconds, but it's not like, um, so yeah, for, for example, you know, if we get a COVID patient, you know, obviously we, we got 60 seconds or less to get out the building out of the fire station, get to the, get to someone's house. Um, if our notes, on our computer and our, our rescue ambulances mention, hey, it's COVID positive, um, then we don additional PP, which would be the gown. That would be the additional equipment because we're technically supposed to wear goggles or N95 and gloves at a bare minimum. And then, you know, COVID patients that are confirmed, we put on a gown. If we determine that it's a COVID patient um, after the fact or a potential, then we'll don when necessary. But as far as life-saving treatment, um, that the, the gown will typically, uh, I wouldn't say go on the back burner, but we strategically set somebody up as far as if there's life threatening issues, you know, we'll deal with it. We'll have 
typically one person handling that that's going to be in the patient compartment that's the most exposed person um he's gonna he's gonna be doing the patient care and we'll set somebody up with a gown um and, and to continue the treatment yeah, so I guess I guess my question is this, and I'm sorry, it's funny because I have a buddy who was on the Sierra Hot Shots for a long time, and I have other firefighter friends, and somehow I don't know some of these uh, these answers. But um, you know, in terms of what y'all are responding to, though, I mean, what's what's the gamut of things you're treating? Are you doing like gunshot wounds? Are you dealing with like uh, yeah, yeah, everything, auto yeah. accidents? Oh, yeah, we're everything you can think of. You know, even I mean, from traffic accidents to um, different varieties of medical illnesses, conditions, such as like heart attacks, strokes, seizures, um, you know, just the, the common cold or COVID, um, all the way to traffic accidents, to structure fires, to burn patients, to just anything. You brush can, fires. Brush fires. Um, we go, it, just anything you can think of, you yeah. know, and at a bare minimum, we got to wear our N95, we got to wear goggles and gloves. It's just interesting to me the inordinate amount of um, uh, attention paid to all of this COVID stuff when it's irrelevant. If you're, you know, going to a car accident, you have to cut a door off to rip somebody out of the car. I mean, COVID's not really on the front of anyone's mind. You know, the person uh, uh, <laughs> has a uh, has a piece of the car jabbed in their uh, lung. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know what? And you'll and you'll see it out there. You'll you'll see it like on traffic accidents and stuff like that. Like. You know, depending on the company, you know, typically you'll get a, a set amount of companies that respond. And, you know, obviously, if you're on a fire apparatus, you're you're typically dealing with the fire and rescue aspect of an incident. And then when you get rescues, they're dealing with the medical aspect. And then obviously, if you're the first fire apparatus on scene and it happens to be an assessment um, engine or a truck, which means a paramedic level of care. Um, they'll typically fall into that role as long as there's no immediate threat of fire or rescue needed. So it's a, it's a critical thinking scheme that we have when we come in and it's a checklist that we do in our minds. And then when we deem all the other things are safe, then we can focus on a medical issue and then we can don proper PPEs. But obviously if it's a traffic accident, someone's pinned or whatever, you know, we're going to show up and most of us aren't wearing masks. You know, we're wearing gloves and we're, we're doing what we can to get people out, you know, because that's our priority. And then after the fact, you know, once they once the medical aspect or component comes in when they're in the back of an ambulance, you know, those guys that are treating the patient in close quarters and not outside, those guys are wearing the proper PPE that I discussed earlier. Yeah, and all of this is is the PPE gear in terms of wearing the N95 respirator and all that. Um, did this begin with COVID, or were y'all doing that even before? No, before at a bare minimum, we have to wear goggles and, and gloves, and then we don N95s based off medical complaint and our judgment, which you know is a variety of things. Which someone actively coughing, suspected tuber so suspected tuberculosis, right? Um, you know, respiratory stuff that's going on where they're coughing or they're you know, they're, they're throwing that sputum out in a close quarters, um, and we feel necessary to protect ourselves. Or, you know, if someone's coughing blood, um, you know, that kind of stuff. It, it was kind of a paramedic judgment back then. Sure. Well, I, yeah, I think one of the most powerful points you, you've made in terms of just anybody who's not a lunatic uh, Marxist on the left um, that would understand <laughs> is that is that 
you know, you guys are tasked with making critical thinking decisions that are life and death, both to protect yourselves in dangerous situations and to protect and save uh, someone who's made a bad decision or was involved in an accident and so on and so forth. And so now they're telling you that despite all of this that you're tasked with, this enormous responsibility, um, you guys can't be trusted with the responsibility to make your own health care decisions. Yeah, Um, absolutely. And and the the biggest thing with this ordinance that that really bothers most of the men and women that serve for the city of Los Angeles um, is there's a lot of members that are extremely conflicted. um, And they're very passionate, not only religiously, not only medically, but just personal choice you know and like like i mentioned before you know if you go to the hospital right now and someone says hey i'm gonna i want to give you this medication and and you say no you have that right and you're granted that right and you release any entity of liability by signing a documentation we we don't have that right and you know once again we experienced all this but the biggest issue is there's a lot of members right now legally that are fighting this and we're 600 plus strong. And don't quote me on that because, you know, yeah. there, there, there is a panel for Firefighters for Freedom that has the most accurate information regarding the lawsuit, regarding the numbers, and regarding the legality of this whole thing. You know, we're, we're just, you know, fed information from the top. And this is just general knowledge out there without, yep. you know. But the biggest thing, the key takeaway is if, there, if a lot of members choose not to get this and we're fired for a lack of better uh, of a better word, the city doesn't realize the repercussions that are going to happen. Because when we had our union meeting, we had command staff state um, that if there was 600 members that chose to walk away from the job because they don't want to get the shot, that the city will cri- be crippled. Crippled. Meaning that there will be, they'll be shutting down fire companies, there won't be paramedics to respond. Um, and that's from all ranks. That's from captains to engineers to apparatus operators. Those are the members that drive the trucks to paramedics, the EMTs driving the rescues and running the day-to-day calls. And we're rough, and on average, we're, we're running around 1,500 to 2,000 calls a day in the city of Los Angeles. And for those members, we're, we're right now we're in a staffing crisis. We're in a system of recall, which means that if we have over 100 vacancies, and there's other there's other um, things attached to that, why they, they recall. But if we meet certain criteria, they have to recall us, mean, meaning that we have to stay at our station until 8 o'clock. And then once we put everybody in a proper position on an apparatus, they, they, they'll keep people and hold them over for an additional day on a non-scheduled day. So, And that's happening frequently, almost every weekend, Friday, Saturdays, and Sundays for the last couple months, occasionally during the weekdays, definitely on the holidays. Um, and it, we're in a staffing crisis and to lose an additional 600. And this, this is just a, a ballpark number with Firefighters for Freedom and that's including the total amount of unvaccinated members, which is uh, uh, in surplus of a thousand. You know, if, if people stand strong and fight against us for free, free will and free uh, choice, the city will be crippled. And that's what bothers me is the the citizens don't know the repercussions and, and it's, it's critical to life-saving measures. You know, I, I think of the kids out there, I think of the elderly that are in skilled nursing facilities, the people that count on us for their daily medical care. There's a lot of people that don't have medical insurance and they rely on the 911 system for their care. And that yeah. happens all over the city with transients, um, homeless people, they rely on us, we, you know, 
we we care for them. So the city is going to be devastated. And, and is happens. there has there been a conversation uh, at all from the city standpoint or even amongst yourselves about let's just say worst case scenario or best case scenario if you, if everyone fights for freedom, um, you know let's say they lose six hundred people. Um, is there something you know you know when it comes to the nurses um the federal government's happy to say oh we're going to send in the national guard uh, yeah. to these hospitals to fill the void i mean you guys are skilled workforce you you spend years and years training yeah. um i mean it, 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 do they have is there some contingency where they're saying oh we'll just replace them i mean um you know what the, the, there's rumors there's rumors about people of what they may or may not have so, as far as uh contingency plans but nobody's specifically said this is what's going to happen if 600 people leave and yeah. some of the upper staff have said you know uh we can't um we don't we don't want to give conjecture or we don't want to um uh basis on an on a we want hard numbers yeah and uh we're, we're left in the dark because they want hard numbers past the deadline because right now the verbiage says condition of employment our union is currently actively negotiating with the city um the terms of the disciplinary actions which the our union is is pro vaccine but they're they they oppose um the mandate they believe in free choice um but the the issue is is we're left in the dark a lot of things uh, on a lot of things because you look at departments around the nation for example san francisco you got like 20 guys that stood stood their ground but to the city, that's 20 guys. That's that's disposable to them. Those are numbers that they can afford to lose. So you give that that same scenario in San Francisco, if they had half the department, 600 members that stood their ground, it, it would, the disciplinary action would probably be different, like such as, hey, okay, you guys need to test two times a week. They'll make it as inconvenient as possible for everybody to get in. Yeah, and, and this is probably not even for the article. You know, I talk about this in my podcast and I talk about it on radio shows and TV every week in and out. And, and I'm always I'm always asking myself this question, you know, I mean, you know, what is what is this really what is this really about? You know, um, this, yeah, this, this forced vaccination, everyone. And, you know, I'm not going down the rabbit hole of adverse, uh, um, uh, sure. you know, although that's that's certainly a, a reasonable discussion if you eliminate a, a portion that can be tested uh, in comparison to the vaccinated in the long term. But. I guess my question, the only thing I, can, I keep thinking of, it's like, you know, forcing this down people's throats, it's almost, it's almost breaking the will uh, of, of the American citizen in terms of Absolutely. saying, you know, your resistance is futile, you know. There's a new master in town. The Constitution's dead. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. the constitutional agreement that the American citizen is the master and the government is servant is dead. Now, yeah. we're, the, we're the master, you're the servant, so get in line. And this is just the beginning of, of more tyranny down the line. That's the best yeah. I can surmise you know, what this, what this in a, in a philosophical ideological conversation is about, because otherwise it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's what scares a lot of us is what's the real, what's the real push for everyone to get a vaccine? What, and where the numbers I mean, are not making sense. Like the numbers for the, the ability to, to live through COVID is, is upwards of 99%. Yeah. You know, and, and how do you, how do you, how do you push a vaccine on someone where you have that that percentage of to live through something like that and yeah. say that you need to get something that well one could potentially hurt you or or make you debilitated and two if i make my own judgment saying hey 
I think I'm going to live through this because I'm healthy, then that's my choice. Again, we're, we're talking about choice. And we, and we make these decisions in a day-to-day basis. You get in the car, you make a decision to put on a seatbelt. You know, you, you make a decision to do the speed limit or speed. You know, you make a you make a decision day to day to day, and I understand this is you know it's just as like an analogy, you know, but um, it, it's crazy to me that the government is thinking for us, you know, and, and it, it makes us question. And I I tell members all the time because guys ask my opinion because uh, me personally I'm part of the lawsuit and. Um, I'm very passionate about our freedoms and I'm passionate about my children at home and I'm passionate about the future for my children. And that's why, you know, this, this job, I'm standing up for the freedom of choice because that's what we advocate for our patients in the field. It's like that, how hypocritical and um, spiteful is that, you know, towards us? It's, it it makes me sad. So there's, there's gotta be something bigger, you know, that I don't, like I said, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole, like you said, you know, but we're we're all adults and we all can make our own decisions. And it, it's hard to find. Traditionally, when you go online and you're researching something, you can find two sides of the story, the goods and the bads. I find it very ironic that you have to really, really, really dig hard to find the, the opposing argument against what's out there online and on social media. And people, it's, it's obvious. People are getting banned for speaking their mind. Um, arguing a different subject that opposes everything. But I tell people when they ask me, I'm like, hey, you know, I always say is dig deep, do the research, talk to your doctor, talk to your family, make sure it's the right decision for you. If you want to get it, then good for you. I have family members that got it, and I still love them the same. I have coworkers that got it, and I still love them the same. That's their decision. And, you know, there was people – at our union meeting that actually were for the mandate and for boosters. And they said, I can't wait to get boosters. And we told them, we're like, Hey, you know what? We're so glad. I'm so, we're so happy for you, man. At least you, at least you got to choose that. At least you got to choose that, you know, because of what we want to choose, we're risking being fired. And that's what, not right. What's the, um, I mean, you know, I don't, I, it is a number of it doesn't have to be perfect. Cause it's, that's not my point, And I won't write about that specifically, but I'm just curious about the ranks of, 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 you know, in your union and there in L.A. County, you know, the percentage that kind of um, I guess the only the only question that matters is the feeling that you have of the percentage of individuals that are doing the same job as you that are for the mandates versus those who because the vaccination status doesn't matter. It's more the ideological yeah. slant. Right. Yeah. So I if mean, you get vaccinated and you're pro-choice, that's fine. That's the same scenario. Um, but how many people – is there a majority of people that are like you guys in terms of your belief in pro-choice, or is it 50-50? Um, I would – Yeah, more than 50%. I would for sure. Yeah, for sure. I would say definitely more than 50%. Um, and I think some of the problem, too, is that people get vaccinated, and in the department, they – it's such a big department that they don't see a lot of the stuff that's going on behind the scenes. So when they get vaccinated, they kind of turn their brain off and say, well, I got vaccinated, then I'm fine. I don't need to worry about it. So they just come to work, do their thing, and maybe they don't talk about it or hear about it um, versus the person who's maybe losing their job. Um, yeah. And uh, I think I think the the majority of people are for choice. Um, I, I think that they may or may not be as, as, as passionate as some Gosh. people who are vaccinated and being in the lawsuit, but 
there's people that say, you know, I am, I am for the choice, but you know, I'm just going to do my job. Yeah. Yeah. Keep their head down. Um, right. They don't understand the the severity. Well, of the and then the thing is, I bring up a lot of the thing is, is that it's not only going to just be this vaccination and we're done. It's going to be, well, what about the booster when they force it on you? Do you want to get the booster? Yeah. Do you want to get another booster after that booster? Now this is, now it's just going to be another thing where you're forced to take that. Exactly. That's my suspicion too. You know, once you decide to, to base the uh, unconstitutional notion, well, it's unconstitutional in the sense that, you know, they're basically saying your unalienable rights are dependent upon you getting a vaccine. You know, they're not God given, they're given by the government if you do X, Y, and Z. Right. Um, um, uh, it'll come to me. I had one more question for you guys. I, was oh, curious sorry, about. I just want to, I just want to kind of piggyback off uh, my partner here and, um, yeah, it seems like a, a vast majority of people when the when the COVID shot came out and it was available for us, um, a lot of guys were were getting it because um, they 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 saw like, hey, you need to get, you, especially out here in LA, you know, you need to be vaccinated to go indoors or or whatever, and that kind of started months ago, you know, um, and that's fluctuated as far as restrictions and it's on and off like a light switch depending on our, our parent surges and the numbers in the ICU and the hospitals, but it seems like a lot of members just went with the flow just because they don't want to be inconvenienced in their personal life. Um, there was, uh, you know, and, and, then, it, and then turn around and regret it. Yeah. And then a lot of members after seeing what it's came to regret it and say, I wish I never would have done it because of what I'm seeing. And I know a majority of people don't want boosters. And, and the crazy thing is, um, yeah, it's it's a I would say a, a vast majority of the people are against the mandates, and they're pro freedom of choice. It's just but, a matter of how many are willing to stand up for it. Yeah, and that's the thing is we're we're kind of the city is pushing hard on scare tactics right now. Yeah, hard. Yeah, um, we're getting I mean, it from we're getting yeah. it from every angle, and it's they're they're saying, well, you you got to make a career choice. I mean, it took me it took me. And I'm not going to speak for my partner, but it took me six years to get on this job. It took me six years to try to to get a career in the fire department. And Wait, is that you, I Robert? Bet, yes. Okay. It took me six years to get on. I've been on for eight years. Um, and, you know, this is, this is I love this job. Uh, this is like, you know, I, I, I've almost been in tears about even thinking about losing it. And the, the, the ability to help other people is like something that, not a lot of people get to do and um you know you'll walk in a store and a grocery store you'll be you'll be shopping and just people a lot of people will just walk up to you and say thank you so much for your service and they still do that um and the the the, the issue i have is is we've worked so hard for this job we've we've put our lives and some people put their families on hold their their uh a lot of things on hold and put a lot of sacrifices to get this job and the thanks that we get or the, the, um, the care that the upper staff or, or as far as the city council goes, they just seems like they just don't appreciate what they have, uh, in, in the workforce that we, we are as the city fire department. Well, let me follow up with this question. Cause I, this is like the slant I want to take, cause I want to make this a humanized story. And the New York Post does a good job at, at covering that, where you actually talk about individuals and how the effect and impact is on those people instead of it being broad, right? Because sure. there are two examples of people who are directly affected um, by this 
Uh, Robert, you first. I mean, I'm curious, you know, six years and then eight years. What, what year did you start training for this job? And then how long did, and then, and then in what year did you actually get a position? Um, I started in 2000 and, um, here, like 2009, I believe, or eight. Okay. Um, yep. and, uh, I, I started then I started went, going to paramedic or uh, EMT school. Um, I went to a private Academy and put it to myself through that. I then, uh, went through paramedic school, which cost about $12,000. I paid myself to do it. And then, uh, um, I, slowly just as I was doing that I just applied everywhere I could you know up and down the coast of California Nevada Seattle um Las Vegas everywhere Nevada Arizona Colorado Texas um I went everywhere um just because I really am passionate about this job and I really want to help people and it didn't really matter where you know I just wanted to be helping people and I would love to do it in the city because I grew up here and Um, this was obviously my first choice. And so, um, after that, I got hired in 2013. And this is Drew Allen. We are back live. Well, perhaps not live because it's a podcast version, but I'm back with you. Uh, that is the end of, uh, that segment of the interview. Now, I just want to come and add a few things here. So you heard Jeff and Rob, two firefighters, two patriots, two people who have well, sacrifice blood, sweat, and tears to defend their community selflessly because they love it. They're passionate about it. They told me emphatically that it's the only thing they've ever wanted to do. They're passionate about helping other people. They're, ha- they're passionate about serving others, which is more than, well, most Americans can say for what they do for work. That's not a condemnation, but that's just to point out the uniqueness of what these individuals do and how reliant upon them we are. And of course, you never know how much you miss something until it's gone. And that's what's going to happen to L.A. County. These individuals already suffer staffing crises, you know, throughout this past period. So already there are shortages in the L.A. County Fire Department and other departments across this country. But... Well, just like we're seeing with the nurses and these crises throughout the country, you know, they're talking about overflowing hospital beds because of COVID. And at the same time, they are creating a situation in which they're saying, well, we're going to fire all you nurses. That doesn't solve the problem. That's not a pragmatic solution. Even if you were a foolish totalitarian who demanded vaccine uh, inoculation for 100% of Americans. But I just want to explain something before we close out this first episode of American Voices here. Of allowing these firefighters a chance to make their case to the American people about who they are, what they're for. Because I, you know, you can't, the the media is corrupt. They're painting these firefighter paramedics as radical Republicans, radical, you know, Trumpists, anti-vaxxers. These people aren't anti-vaxxers. You heard it from their own lips. From the lips of whispering babes. They're pro-choice. That's all. And I just want to explain a little bit about who these people are, too. From my conversations and getting to know them. And, you know, the circumstances of getting to know these people 
Yeah, they're not great. But I am thank I thank God, I really do, that I had the opportunity to speak to these people despite it all and get to know them because they encourage me and they should encourage you because depending on where you are, you know, I'm up here in Napa County. It feels awfully lonely sometimes being the lone conservative podcaster in all of Napa County. But these people give me hope because there are millions of us, tens of millions of us who feel exactly like they do. And it's important that we stand together and we support one another. It's time to get activated, folks. It's time to speak up. It's time to come to their defense and go on the attack. But Rob, for example, a brother of a dear friend of mine, he has a wife. He owns his home, has a mortgage to pay. They want to start a family. Now, Jeff, the other individual you heard in that interview there, uh, he's married and has two young children. Two sons, if I recall. He lives outside of L.A. County in Riverside because it's, I would imagine, more affordable. He rents, however. Now, he makes a good living for himself and his family, and he must because his wife is a stay-at-home mom. Rob's wife is a nurse, also in the medical field. And what's remarkable is these individuals are willing to sacrifice their careers, be forced into dire straits, financial hardship, and their families, their wives, stand behind them. So important is this decision and its repercussions for America to their families because they have perspective. They believe that liberty constitutionality, freedom, is more important than their careers. And that is a remarkable thing to behold. Most Americans would cave. They would say, well, I'm just going to do this just to get through it. I'm going to do this to avoid financial hardship. I'm going to do this to avoid difficulty. I'm going to do this just so I can go about living my life. And these people understand what it means in the long term. Because if they bend the knee here, there's nothing that cannot be mandated to these individuals. You heard them. These people are rational. These people are loving. These people are selfless. And they're under attack. They are being punished. You know, I'll get into this um, in, in the future episodes as well, in the next subsequent days. But Rochelle uh, Walensky uh, was interviewed, I believe it was on the um, Wolf Blitzer program there on CNN. And she admitted what, of course, we've known for a long time, but was previously taboo when we said it. But now the CDC director herself has admitted that these vaccines do not prevent the transmission of COVID. And so, the argument from the left is, of course, that you have to be vaccinated to protect other people, which is an absolute rejection of what vaccines are about. Vaccines are about protecting yourself. And if we're honest with ourselves, these are not vaccines, because if you get a vaccine for polio, as I've said before on this program, you never have to worry about getting polio again. 
You don't get a vaccine to protect someone else from getting polio. You get a vaccine to protect yourself from contracting polio. But this vaccine was rushed. Generally, you would have a five to ten year window in which you would study this before you would uh, then put it out in the public. We know there are adverse effects of this, and you'll hear about this in subsequent episodes. As I continue to interview other firefighters and heroes and patriots in this country. But many of these people have had COVID. They have antibodies naturally. They're young, they're healthy, they're fit. 78% of the hospitalizations, as we know in this country from COVID, are amongst the obese. These people are amongst the healthiest in the grand scheme of things in this country due to what they do as a line of work. And so there's no reason for them to get the vaccine to begin with. And furthermore, if the argument is that they must get vaccinated to protect other people, well, if they get vaccinated, they can still transmit the disease. So what's the point? Oh, but the vaccine, the left says. The Nazis say. Oh, the vaccine, well, it protects you against potential hospitalization. It protects you and keeps you from suffering the worst effects of COVID. That in itself negates everything. So these individuals are heroes and they're real Americans and they're individuals. They have a combined collective experience of about 30 years. Two individuals, Jeff and Rob, 30 years almost, training and working as firefighters. They're in their 30s. Like me, I'm 34 years old. They're close to my age. They're in the midst of the, well, of their career. Careers, I should say. And they're willing to, well, walk away from it. Because freedom is more important than bending the knee. I hope you're inspired by Jeff and Rob. I certainly am. And in the next episode, we're going to hear from Jeff Knox. Jeff Knox is 51 years old. Jeff Knox has been a firefighter for, well, his entire career. And he, even more than Jeff and Rob, has the most to risk, the most to lose. And we're going to have a great conversation, he and I, about all of this, his experience, what this is about, what it means to him, and he will provide insight about why Jeff, Rob, and himself, and these other 500-plus firefighters are standing their ground. This is Drew Allen. God bless you. And as we say, until... Next time.